For more than a quarter of a century, he's been in the seed business. His seeds go all over the world. And being as he deals with seeds, his professional life has given him some interesting insights into the Word of God. He is Jer Gettle, I'm John Bradshaw, and this is our conversation. Jer, thanks so much for having me. This is a blessing to be here. Sure, appreciate you coming. It's an honor to have you here today. Oh yeah. Well, here is Baker Creek Heirloom Seed Company, just a little outside of Mansfield in Southern Missouri. The reason we're here is that you're here. What are you doing here? I don't know, actually, other than my parents moved here when I was 13, and uh, I've always been in, in the dirt and in the soil and planting things. So yeah, I good guess, fun. Uh, kind of grew up, uh, grew up out here in the country. I kind of feel like the world would be a better place if more people spent more time with their hands in dirt watching seeds grow and tending to plants. It's definitely a blessing to be able to get out here and hear, you know, hear everything out here in nature and see everything in the ground and yeah. watch it come up and grow and turn into the magic of watching stuff, you know, turn into uh, amazing flowers and, you know, as you can see here beside us. So. Yeah, beautiful. So today your seeds go all over the world. You've been doing this for a quarter of a century. How'd you get into it? It all started, uh, I guess, well, sorry, way back with my parents and grandparents uh, grow, growing up in a garden in uh, basically in the Boise Valley of Idaho, Oregon when I was really small and then Montana and then eventually here. But originally growing with my relatives, all my family gardened and just noticing the differences in seeds. Like all of a sudden, this scallop squash is so much different than the zucchini or the difference in flavors in tomatoes or the different watermelon varieties that my dad would grow. So as a two, three, four-year-old child, I knew someday I wanted to, you know, grow seeds, do something with seeds, and be, that was kind of my, early on, my passion in life. It's got to be great to have, to have committed your life to something that was a passion when you were, you were a youngster, almost like a dream come true. It kind of beats working for a living, right? It does. It's, I always knew I wanted to do it, but as I started the company in 1998, it was kind of like I didn't know if this was just going to always be a hobby or if it would actually be a way I could provide for myself someday. But either way, it was going to be my, you know, gardening and collecting seeds and, you know, being in nature was always going to be something I wanted to do, at least in my, it was my hobby, if nothing else. So how did you actually get into the, the business of selling seeds? How did that come about? Uh, in 98, I started to Xerox off on a little copier machine, some catalogs I typed up on a little old computer, a little old Packer Bell computer. and. Um, sent those out to you know people we knew and to people i put a little ad in like the local electric co-op paper and uh sent out about 550 of the 12 page price list and it was a slow but you know steady steady year but slow it was definitely not a business of it by any means and then the next year was two right before 1999 right before 2000 and people thought hey you know they thought the computers were going to crash so it built a little more emphasis interest and that that year it never took, you know, it took off and never really looked back as far as people becoming interested in heirloom seeds as far as we're concerned. It kind of gave the business a little boost. Was it always heirloom seeds for you? We always did. Um, primarily, yeah, the business has always been heirloom seeds. And that's, when a small child, I was interested in their stories and their histories because heirloom seeds are ones that are passed down. They have stories. They might come from Japan. They might come from right down the street. And, uh, you know, every country, every area has seeds that are part of their community. And those stories, whether it's your local story, your family's story, that's what, what got me interested in it, was the, the stories and the, 
histories behind the seeds as well as all the diversity and colors. So explain to me what an heirloom seed is. It's kind of a generic term, kind of like antique or vintage, but it basically means a variety that's passed down or something that's passed down. An heirloom, more, more broadly, is just something that's passed down from generation to generation. So it's an older variety that's been passed down in families. So not hybrid. Not a hybrid variety. Um, it's generally a variety that comes true because otherwise it wouldn't have been passed down. So in most cases they come true just like their parents and some some varieties it might be a mix that's passed down like a mixture. But in most cases you're, if you plant a red tomato that is a two pound red tomato in the next generation you're most likely going to get a two pound red tomato. And a hybrid is one that is a cross between two different really great varieties probably to come up with this F1 hybrid which is basically a variety that isn't stable. So if you save seed from it it's going to revert back to one of the parents or multiple different genetics from those parents and grandparents even. So it's kind of like, uh, you know, uh, mixed breed dogs, you know, they're not, the litter isn't all the same color. You get kind of a, a multitude of colors and the same with vegetables. You just, the genetics throw out a ton of different colors. So does this mean in your mind, heirloom good, hybrid bad? Not necessarily. Okay. The hybrid is just, uh, it definitely has its benefits, and most heirlooms came from originally from crosses. Some of them weren't, some of them were just things found in nature or mutations that happened. But in a lot of cases, somebody crossed two different corn varieties and came up with something they liked. And traditionally, they would keep saving it until it came true, you know, keep selecting for each generation. But once people got into F1 hybrid varieties, they would just plant that cross, and then they would have to recross the cross and plant the cross. And the only really negative to them is they're usually, um, well, there's a couple of things, but they're usually selected for more commercial production. So they're not, sometimes not as good for home gardeners. And then the other thing is, it's harder to like have a stable food supply if you have to always go back to the company. With the heirloom varieties and open pollinated or heirloom varieties, you can save the seed every generation. And you can with hybrids too, but you don't have the same guarantee of what you're gonna get as when you plant a brandywine tomato, for example, you're gonna get a brandywine tomato. When you plant a better boy tomato, which is a hybrid, you may not get that. You may get three or four different types, and they may all be good, or maybe three of them are good and one of them's bad, or maybe three of them are bad and one of them are good. It's like a, it's a chance, and it's it's still fun to do, but it's not like a dependable source of the same food that, or flowers that you got the year before. So, I mean, you've got to love plants, right? Do you love plants, or do you like the seeds? Do you like the story of the seed? What is the whole thing? Yeah, the whole thing. thing. But the plants are the main thing. You know, the plants and the stories and the pictures, and then looking at them and thinking, this is something that Thomas Jefferson grew, or this is something that uh, you know uh, came from India, and you know the stories behind it, or this is something that came over with uh, you know maybe my ancestors, or whatever it might be. You know, this is an old German variety or a Mexican variety or whatever it is. It's always, you know, you can actually create recipes. And, and the other thing is the flavors are, you know, are way different than what we eat now in the grocery store. When you buy a tomato, it's kind of the same generally over and over again. So. Yeah, look, no disrespect intended. Well, uh, okay, maybe quite a lot of disrespect intended, to be honest, but supermarket tomatoes? They're pretty bland. They're yeah, pretty bad, aren't pretty they? Pretty bad. Generally and, uh, speaking, they're pretty and, bad. And really, when you start growing your own produce, it starts with tomatoes for a lot of people, but then when they start tasting other things, they're like, wow, the spinach. Yeah. You know, it's like you wouldn't think a spinach at all looks the same, but when you actually taste the older varieties and then also growing in your home garden, fresh and local, yeah. those two things combined, and you, the difference is, you know, the kids will like, 
notice the difference right away. It just, you know, the flavor is just not the same. It's a bit weird, isn't it? We love our illusions. We love to live the lie. Now, now I, 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 I'm sorry, if you're the president of the Red Delicious Apple fan club, then just write me and complain. But I mean, a Red Delicious Apple, they look so wonderful, they taste like, they don't taste so wonderful. They're, yeah, so, yeah. they're just sweet, but with no flavor. Right. Kind of a but bland. what we love is we love our little Pinterest apples that look perfect. Or we love our little predictable tomatoes that you buy in a plastic tray from the grocery store. It's a really weird thing that there's a there's a a market now for you know ugly vegetables. You buy them over here, they don't look great, but if you buy them or sell them to you, it's sixty percent off. Where did we get to that our that our carrots had to look like they were designed by a, a French fashion place? What happened that we didn't want? spotted apples or misshapen carrots. It's a bit weird, isn't it? I think people got it farther away from the farm and they got more used to just seeing stuff and also shipping stuff. They like it to all be about the same size right. and people got used to it. And when you're out on the farm, you want the ones that look the same. When you're on the farm, you know that the, the tomato with the crack tastes just as good with just the as tomato good. that isn't cracked or yeah. the tomato that has a big lump on it or whatever. Um, so it's, you know, but when you're, when you're buying in town, your, your mentality is, I want the best, smoothest one, I think. And, and once they found out customers wanted that, the grocery stores and markets went to, okay, we got to get them all this way because this one's blemish-free. And so it kind it's of... It's too uh, bad, really. I mean, I get it. I get it. But isn't that just... Aren't we just getting further away from the reality of what it's actually like to have your, some dirt under your fingernails and your toes in the soil? And, and the, all the different shapes and colors and sizes actually make life more interesting. I think so. All the right is that some of the squash that are all knobby and ribbed, they, uh, they actually makes them look interesting and attractive. I mean, and, and there is a growing interest in people like that's that's actually kind of neat. If I'm going to grow it in my garden, I don't want to grow just a supermarket tomato. Yeah. I want to grow something that's different. Yeah, so I think that's a you know a big thing. People are realizing that it's uh, you know there's some there's some advantages to having some diversity in our food. Yeah. So you've been selling seeds for more than a quarter of a century. Who's buying them? I mean, you ship you ship around the world. You ship to all 50 of the United States. Do you have a read on what kind of people are buying? Uh, how, oh, many, so many things I want to ask you. How, how trends have changed and habits have changed, how more people are buying, less people. And buying seeds means growing your own food. And that's really what I'm, what I'm interested in here. So De definitely, who's growing yeah, your food? Definitely a, a lot of people from all different generations and cultures are growing food. We're definitely seeing a lot more minorities getting back into growing their own food. We're also seeing a, a huge trend in like the 24 to 35 year olds, a huge, that's one of our biggest groups. Probably our two biggest groups are like that, 24 to 35 and then also the, like 54 to 65, that early retirement area. That and surprises people me. just starting their homes or families or getting out on their own, basically, out of college or whatever, out on their own and getting their own places, you know. And that's a big push. And then the second biggest group is that I'm just getting ready to retire. I've just retired and I want to grow my own food. But across the board, though, there's only, a, you know, maybe 10% difference. It's, you know, people, you know, from 18 to, you know, everything from kids all the way to, as far as buying seeds, though, any, everywhere from 18 to 100, like to, yeah. you know, if they can garden, they love to, you know, throw a few things out, even if it's just a small patch. And a lot, a lot more gardeners are starting gardening, maybe not as big a gardens as in the past, but a lot of people want some of their own food, some of their own herbs, some of their own flowers. Yeah. They want to... You know, they want to have a backyard that's full of bees and butterflies and, you know, yeah, yeah. they want that kind of connection to nature. So, so what are people growing? Like, what, what's the, the favorite American 
fruit or vegetable that's like everybody wants to buy some of? Still tomatoes would be, you know, oh, yeah? definitely. But uh, there's a lot of others like carrots and green beans are not far away. But tomatoes are still the number one, especially the multicolored tomatoes. That's the um, number one thing without question, you know, year in and year out, you know, overall the biggest categories. Multicolored tomatoes. tomatoes. The colorful, you know, brightly colored. But people still love the red ones too. The big old yeah. classic beef steak. Beef steak. Um, yeah. Basically, any bright, deep color of tomato people love. So. Do you notice trends over the years? You know, 20 years ago, no one wanted to buy bok choy, and today everybody's buying it. Have you seen trends change and, and vegetables get hot or cold? Over the years, I think vegetables that kind of got cold for a while until recently were like cabbage and rutabagas yeah. and turnips and these good storage vegetables that kind yeah. of like people like, ah, oh, we don't need storage vegetables. We want to grow, you know, fresh eating things like greens and uh, tomatoes and flowers. and But um, since uh, the last couple of years, actually, you know, with the issue with COVID and supply chains, all of a sudden cabbage and that started picking up again. And so that's kind of reversed. And all of a sudden more people are growing, like maybe they do want a few things that they can, they're thinking about, hey, if I maybe should have a few things I can store for the winter. It just makes sense to have them. But as far as overall, probably the biggest trend is more people eating more greens. Oh, yeah. America's a society that doesn't really eat greens, you know, for the last 30, 40 years. And all of a sudden, I think a lot of people are discovering their health is uh, benefits from eating fresh leafy greens. And you it know, does. Spinach it really does. and bok choys and Asian greens are huge. A the Asian green categories are probably our biggest, one of our biggest growth uh -huh. categories. People like cat soys and bok choys and you know, any of the leafy Asian greens um, in particular. But it's across the board, people are wanting to eat more vegetables. I mean. Nice. So is there something that I would expect lots of people to eat and you'd say eh, it doesn't really it's not tomato it's not a big it's not big like is, is there something that that americans think they're eating or i think americans are eating and you know better you're like ah, no, well one, one crop i mean melons is one that i would think a lot of people would grow yeah and um it's one that actually a lot of people are intimidated by that's one that um it, it seems like it would be like way more popular than say eggplant but it's not really, it's about the same as eggplant as yeah. far as overall. It's like, I think people, I think a lot of people as far as what they're eating out of their gardens, they would like to grow melons, but they're intimidated. They would like to grow a lot of these different crops, but they get kind of like um, intimidated to give it a try. And That's so, funny you say that, man. I'll tell you why. My father-in-law grows the world's best watermelons or maybe, maybe second best. Bob Wint grows a pretty wicked watermelon. I won't, I, I, I've tried once. I, I'm intimidated by them. They're hard. For me, too hard. I stay away. I grow eggplant. Funny you should say that. I don't grow eggplant very successfully either. But I, I've just got to I say amen to what you said. It's I think a lot of people just intimidation. Should on I be vegetables. intimidated? What, what should I do? Try different varieties and try different, you know, techniques. But uh, some melons can be easy. But a lot of places, especially in the south or in the north, you run into issues sometimes with climate. Yeah. Um, being either too cold or too wa warm or too wet or too dry. So a lot of times look for a variety that's kind of, you know, if you're in the south or the north, an early quick maturing small variety oftentimes does better than a large, mm. a large watermelon or a large cantaloupe just takes a lot more energy and a lot more time. So small quick varieties will either beat the heat or beat the insects oftentimes or beat the cold in the north. So that's You know a, what? I bet I won't. I bet I won't. I know I should. Maybe I should take the challenge and just decide, okay, there's got to be, and, there's got to be a way to get it done. For us, like here, varieties from India do really well. Um, we have the Kajari melon and that's my favorite. And, um, 
it's not it's it's a cantaloupe type melon or a you know a musk melon but it's a green fleshed orange rind and uh, delicious but um a lot of climates like in these southern parts of the country we have pests that you know so if we look for varieties from tropical regions because our summers are basically tropical you know yeah so we look for varieties in tropical regions and they tend to do better so that's one of the things we've kind of found in recent years here in missouri you know is look for varieties from regions that have you know, hot, humid summers, whether it's Florida or India or Thailand or, you know, even Japan, you know, they have a similar summer that we have. So it, if we get varieties of melons from like Northern Europe, they tend to have a way more challenges. Oh, that's interesting. So part of it is people trying to grow in their backyard something that was probably not really designed to grow in their backyard. Yeah, that's one of the biggest challenges is finding that variety that just thrives where you're at. Ah. And in some places it's hard to grow just about anything, you know, if you're in the, if you're in the desert and uh, you don't have enough water or whatever, there are things to grow. It's just finding the right, finding the right solution. Yeah. So that, man, there's so much I want to ask you. I want to ask you about, because you've got seeds from all over the world, right? A little bit. Yeah. A little I mean, bit. From I mean, a, I mean, probably about a hundred or some different countries, around a hundred different countries, I think. That's so. a lot. I was really, I was, I was just so thrilled to see that you have some seeds from New Zealand, something I haven't eaten for ah, more years than I want to admit. And I'm like, oh, look at this from my homeland, which is such a thrill. Um, so I want to ask you about some of those things and what are the interesting things you sell and stuff that you find intriguing. But let's talk for a moment about that connection. So I saw your kamor kamor. It's a, it's a, it's a squash, what we would have called a marrow. And as a kid, I probably wasn't that thrilled by it because who wants to eat squash when you're a kid? But then you get a little older and then you remember what it was like and it really was absolutely fantastic. Seeing those seeds, it just lit me up. Suddenly I was, I don't know, I was 15 years old again or something like that. Seeds are one of those things that have the ability to take you back, to connect you to your home, to your childhood, to your culture. At least that's how it seems to me. Is that your experience? It's definitely how I feel. And seeds, and you think about it, it's one of the only things that most people can have that connects them to the past. Right. Most people aren't going to have probably a piece of furniture that um, maybe uh, Thomas Jefferson had or George Washington had or the ancient Chinese emperor grew. But with seeds, we can literally be eating the same thing that an emperor in China might have ate or, uh, you, know, you know, maybe our forefathers ate. You know, it's, we we oftentimes don't even have their furniture around anymore that grandma right. had. Yeah. But oftentimes, we, if we don't have it, we can find somebody that still has the kind of, like my grandmother might have grew the sweet meat squash. But um, even though maybe my parents didn't continue it, the good thing is there's always people saving these things. And we can grow up again and remember, okay, at grandma's house, I remember eating this squash or this kind of corn or whatever. So it brings back memories and, and you know, family conversations yeah. and uh, Stories do, and you know. do, do people tell you? Do people say, did they do like this? The seed you wouldn't believe it. It connects me. Have you, you heard all the time? Like yeah, it's almost on a you know almost on a daily basis. Really? If, if I'm talking to people, yeah, people come in and uh, that's especially older gardeners. You know, sometimes they come in and they're literally crying. You know, because they really? remember this and they remember their grandma and you know it just they remember canning these millionaire tomatoes that we have that they've been looking for for years or whatever locally here, and it was a local favorite and you know it's just like. Um, it brings, you know, it brings, when you think about grandma and doing something with her, it makes, it's emotion, it's emotional and happy at the same time. You can yeah. grow something that grandma grew, you know, yeah. 60 or 80 years ago. Do, do, do you get people. people telling you stories like, like 
thing I just mentioned about uh, this is from the old country. Or definitely, whatever. yeah, definitely. It's yeah. All, all the time people will call us and say, you know, people immigrate here and oftentimes don't bring the seeds. And we have just a small percentage of seeds globally, but still oftentimes people can find something from their old country. Yeah. And uh, they get in there and look and, you know, my grandmother came from Mexico. And so it's kind of, uh, you know, I have varieties, Mexican, you know, varieties and all be looking for, you know, when you want to make something like she made, you don't want to just go get a generic pepper. You, it's nice to pick out a Mexican variety, for yeah. example, and yeah. uh, so forth and so forth. You know, it's just uh, when you want to grow, make the recipe, if you just go buy a bell pepper at town, it's just not the same as when you plant something that, you know, your grandma made it with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seeds are wonderful things. They connect us to the past. Um, they, 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 I mean, your plate comes alive, your garden comes alive, and I think your, your life comes alive as well. We'll be back with more in a minute. I'm thrilled to be talking with Jer Gettle at Baker Creek Heirloom Seeds. This is our conversation brought to you by It Is Written. They're as old as time itself. Created on the third day of Creation Week, they were here before animals, birds, humans, and even before the sun. Join me for The Good Seed. We'll travel to Mansfield, Missouri to learn about seeds, the wonders of creation that Jesus so often spoke about. A sower went forth to sow. The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. I'll talk with experts and we'll discover how you can sow good seed and be sure that you will reap an eternal harvest. The Good Seed. How the seed of the Word of God can set your life on a whole new trajectory and how the power of God can remake your being. The Good Seed. Brought to you by It Is Written TV. Every Word is a one-minute Bible-based daily devotional presented by Pastor John Bradshaw and designed especially for busy people like you. Look for Every Word on selected networks or watch it online every day on our website, itiswritten.com. Welcome back to Conversations brought to you by It Is Written. I'm John Bradshaw. My guest is Jer Gettle. This is his place, Baker Creek Heirloom Seeds. Jer has been in the seed business for more than a quarter of a century, and it's a fascinating, fascinating business. It's not just putting seeds in packets. You're connecting people with the past. You are uh, making memories come alive for people. You're helping people make cool discoveries, eat new food, travel virtually to other places of the world. You got a catalog of different seeds that you make available. What are some of the interesting things in the catalog as far as you're concerned? Oh, for me, it's it's hard to pick, but um, I like colorful things like yeah. the pink, Chinese pink celery we brought back from China a few years ago. It's a celery, but instead of being green or white like most celery, it's bright pink. It's pink. Um, you know, I like the, a vegetable called snake bean, bean or snake melon yeah. or snake gourd, depending on which country it comes from, but it's a long, skinny vegetable. It gets about five foot long, very popular in like India and other parts of Asia, but it's really delicious. It tastes like a green bean, but only so much better. But and wait, yeah, but wait a minute. You said you have celery that's pink. It's just a kind of a light bubblegum pink. So it's really, really pretty. I mean, 
it's fun to put in your container where you'd grow your flowers even, you know, on your, your patio. Yeah. Green celery is kind of like boring in the container in yeah, your yeah, front yeah. porch. But if you got a pink celery there, it's like, wow, that's, that's pretty, pretty cool. you know. So. so people like to get seed to grow something cool. Yeah, they love the giant, like the giant beans, uh, you know, I was talking about, yep. or the... Um, You've got a giant carrot. We do, I saw it yeah. earlier today. The carrot has got to be, I don't know. About it's 44 inches long, the it's one huge. down there, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that will keep a family going for a month or like a rabbit. <laughs> Depends on how much carrots day. they eat, but it definitely yeah. um, it produces a lot of carrot. It's an old variety from Japan. It's called Man Manpukaji carrot. Yep. But it's, again, an old variety that's kind of disappeared. But now when we show people, everybody's amazed. You know, it's fun. Everybody's got to have one of those. It's like uh, it makes a lot of carrot juice. I bet it does, yeah. So what else? What else is in the, in the catalog or some seed that you've had or have something else that, that's different, unique? Oh, there's just, there's so, so many different many, things. Yeah. I mean, the one thing that's kind of, it's not just a single variety, but it's something that's came out more recently. It's not really a true heirloom, but it's all the black skin tomatoes that have the yeah. black skin on them. A lot of them are red inside, uh, but they will be the black, deep anthocyanin rich skins. And um, people just love those. They're, it's like, you know, wow, I can grow all black tomato. When yeah. you cut it open, it's still red inside, but just the ability to grow a tomato that's like almost jet black is that's just cool, really fun. People love that, you know, the orange flesh watermelons, you know, cut it open and you have that deep orange flesh, but it also has a citrusy taste to it. It's that each color, that's one thing we've noticed with all these different vegetables, when you cut them open, they all have different nutritional compounds, but you can taste the difference in the flavor. It's orange vegetables always tend to have a little bit of the same taste as other orange vegetables or fruit. And purple vegetables have that little bit of taste like a purple grape or a purple plum. It kind of goes throughout the vegetables, how God's put that flavor in there where you kind of, the colors definitely signify different flavors and nutrients. So that's, I, we, I, that, in, in, like we mentioned the pink celery, mm. you know, you definitely get little tinges of flavor differences with the colors, and yeah. um, that's what makes it so cool. So you mentioned a minute ago health. A couple of minutes ago, we talked about it. You, you said people are eating more and more greens, and that's because people have figured out they're really, really good for them. Why don't you tell me for a moment about the health benefits of, of certain things? I mean, we, we know eat five a day or whatever the case might be, um, pretty low threshold when they say ketchup is one of your five. Yeah. Uh, but you, uh, uh, you're a seed, a seed merchant. It's not just seed, you're, 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 these are heirloom seeds, fruits and vegetables and flowers. You're selling, you're providing good health opportunities, opportunities for people to live fuller, healthier lives. Talk about that, the, what's in vegetables and, and fruits and so on that's just so good for us. Yeah, there's, there's so many different vegetables and the more you eat, the more different things you get, of course, and they're not all created equal. Like over the last few years, we've did like different tests on different vegetables, te testing them for like vitamin C, vitamin A, proteins, so forth and so forth. And we can run through the lettuce category, for example, and some of them will have like three or four times much, or if even five or six times as much vitamin A as other lettuces will have. The same with carrots. Some of them will be like four and six times more vitamin A or vitamin, and the same with vitamin C, different, you know, all the different nutrients. Some of the greens like tatsoi will be, you know, hugely more healthy as far as the nutrients that we at least see from the initial test mm. than say maybe eating um, even spinach which is a super nutritious vegetable, but some of the Asian greens will be two and three and four times more, you know, nutrient dense than some of the things that are commonly available. 
So it's um, some of the ones that really though stand out for me is the bitter melons or bitter gourds. It's a strong, you know, stout tasting yeah, vegetable. It sure is. I, I love the taste. You do. But um, so many people now, since research has came out, especially from like places like Taiwan and other developed countries in Asia, showing the health benefits and potential health benefits. There's lots of research out there with multiple different, multiple different ways where it just improves general health in multiple different ways. But uh, many of the places where they eat these different superfoods, like Okinawa and other places, like the purple sweet potato. Uh, the Okinawa purple, purple sweet potato, there and and the bitter melon. It's another vegetable that's famous in the Okinawa diet. It's um, it's you know scientists are looking like okay, what's what's causing these vegetables to have these health benefits? And a lot of it's still under research, but it's these colorful vegetables and these vegetables that might taste bitter. I mean, most modern Americans have lost interest in the bitter greens. You know, it used to be you'd go harvest your bitter screen, spring greens and put them on the table and kick, feed them to your kids. Italy and so many of the other places, if you look at the places where people live longer, you know, Loma Linda, um, uh, Italy, places in Italy, other places, they're eating more fruits and vegetables. They're eating a lot more fruits and vegetables. You know, Okinawa, they eat a ton of fruits and vegetables. They're not just eating French fries. Right. And so things like bitter melon, um, things like um, the Asian greens in general, the whole Asian green category was amazingly like, you know, the, for everything from the bok choys to the tat soys and so forth. Um, in most cases are more nutrient dense than even like kale and collards and things that we think of as, you know, really beneficial and they are, but it's uh, definitely, you know, some ones out there that are, people just aren't um, trying yet. So when it comes to growing your own food, what you have the opportunity to do is to eat uh, based on principle. You know, hey, I can, I can grow this and harvest the that eat this, and it's really good for me. That's a, that's a smart way to go about your business, isn't it? I think, I think it is, and you can really increase, like, the varieties you're eating. You know, you're not just eating one variety of greens. You can literally get... Um, you know, like even like on the kale, some of them are high in protein and others have half as much protein. Yeah. So it's, as more research comes out, gardeners and, uh, and people even shopping at the grocery store can go and look down the list and go, hey, this has more nutrients than this vegetable. I like them both. I'm going to buy this one today. I remember last, just last year growing, oof, we grew several different varieties of tomatoes. It was just fun. These little, you got them, atomic, atomic, atomic grape. grape. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. And just fun to eat because they look so neat and they that that their color is really cool and growing something a little different just just I think it just makes it more fun to eat makes dining more the, of an experience. And the better the flavor in most all the cases when we did like three almost three hundred different tests where the flavor was good, we we already kind of know where the nutrients generally are because generally in most cases where the flavor is really rich and tense wherever you have a taste intense flavor. Almost 100% of the time, that's also the tomatoes that tasted bland were also bland in the amount of nutrients. Oh, that's interesting. So typically, if the flavor's fantastic, they're nutrient dense. You're getting a lot of you're getting a lot of vitamins and stuff. You know, most in most cases, that's almost you know almost 100%. There are exceptions, yeah. but uh, and there are things like bitter vegetables that people might not like the taste of, but when you it's still a stout taste, a strong taste. Right. That's a good sign. It's generally a good sign for most people to, you know, increase that, you know, rich, strong tasting vegetables and fruits. When you started out um, a quarter of a century ago and you typed up your 12-page catalog, 
Roughly how many different seeds were you making available? I think about 80 or 85 seeds that first 85. year. 85, so. okay, that's pretty good. And, and they were growing right here, basically almost where we sit here. That is that right? Most of them are growing right here in this and, and general what, area. And what were they? They were tomatoes? Oh, we had tomatoes, melons, eggplants, a few flowers, um, a couple, maybe a bean or two. It was just a little right. of this and a little of that. Right, right, right. But, uh, so about 85, 80, 85. Did you say 85, 85? Around seeds? 80 to 85, 85. different okay. varieties. Today, how many? We have right now around, I think, close to 1,300 total varieties on our website. It, it varies, you know, a little bit from week to week, yeah. depending on stuff coming and going. But we're, our aim is to have, you know, in the low, you know, 1,200, 1,400 is what our goal is to keep going. That's we used to have a little more than that, but it's a, it is a struggle to keep is. them all going and keep them pure and make so, sure we get so the research. more than 85. Oh, yeah, it's uh, so, definitely. Uh, so where do you get them all? A lot of them we get from diff different people that send them to us, collectors that bring them to us. Oh yeah. Um, sometimes we find them on travels, you know, when we're traveling, and uh, people just send us stuff all the time in the mail, though. And then there's other seed growers and small family seed companies and seed breeders, and uh, there's always, most of the time, almost on a daily basis, somebody's telling us about something. They'll send me a message on Facebook Messenger or WeChat or wherever. Hey, we have these amazing whatever beans that we found. Uh, would you like to try some? And and then, you know, in most cases, yes. Sometimes it's just a little local older lady might bring in a handful of something and say, is here's some so? beans from my, you know, my great grandmother and I want to keep them alive. Oh, how cool is that? So it's, we get way more seeds than we can, uh, yeah. than we can actually do anything with, but we trial them and do the best we can and try to, you know, put them in our seed bank and try to keep them alive yeah. anyway, in most cases. So. There's a real community among growers, isn't there? Oh yeah. It's uh, gardeners. It's always been, I think you've kind of talked to the gardener across the fence and, uh, pass stuff back and forth and you, your uncle came over and he wants some and he takes some and he brings you something or they, your aunt brings you something and you know the garden clubs which is kind of a dying tradition because it's the younger generations don't do it as much but it's always been kind of a uh, thing where I think people would get together and share yeah. you know share knowledge and share information about what they're doing and what's going on you know people love that connection with others. Do you notice a difference in uh, plants and seeds of vegetables from around from around the world. Do you notice in this part of the world, I don't know, maybe because of climate, geography, things are limited, and another part of the world because it's different things is much more expensive. Is that a thing? You notice that? It definitely changes a lot, and certain cultures are very good about modifying things over time. Like the Japanese um, can take a vegetable from the U.S. and you know, 400 years, it can. When you know we bring it back, we hardly recognize it. They're very patient. Other cultures, you know, are happy to keep it kind of the way they got it, and both are good because then you get the original back. But you know, cultures everywhere are always adapting, changing, and then there's always certain people in those cultures kind of keeping the old variety as well. So uh -huh. you have certain people that like it the way it is and keep it the same, and you have other people like, hey, I want to adjust it. I'm going to keep selecting for the bigger and bigger and bigger. So it's fair to say then, if you go back in time, go back to the time of Jesus. So, I mean, did the olives then look the same now or, or whatever they were growing? Have things changed? If, if we were transported back 2,000 years in time, would we look at the food and go, oh, that's different? Some things, like if you look at old, old artwork and stuff, there's not a lot available, but like some of right. the radishes and stuff from like the Roman times are very similar to now. And then other things would be completely different. So, it's, right? you know, some things hang on. In certain areas, people are very good about just keeping over and over and over again. But there's also a, would be way more diversity in certain crops now because, you know, it's a, a lot of time has transpired in a lot of cultures since, you know, 
globalization and transport, things, you know, kind of moved around and, you know, tomatoes were in one small area or right. run in the Americas, basically. And now they went to other places and other people decided they liked different types of tomatoes. And some people thought they were going to pickle them or, you know, put them on pizza or whatever that might be. So they kind of started to elect them. You know, the Italians selected the paste tomato, which, I mean, I'm sure the Native Americans here didn't have any interest in, but, it, you know, over time people thought of different things and uh, different uses and the varieties were kind of selected to take those, uh, you know, make those things a reality. Yeah, that's really interesting. So, um, like, like for you, do you have a, do you have a, do you have a, any, a, a favorite, like, I love to grow these, or these are so fascinating. Is there anything that really oh, stands out for you? Yeah, it's, it's hard to say. I love growing tulips, yeah, but um, I also yeah. love growing bitter melons and melons, and I think the whole, you know, watermelons, cantaloupes, bitter melons, the whole that crop, even though they're a little more difficult, I think when I get those, that's my most exciting moment is harvesting the, all the amazing fruit. They look so neat. They smell delicious. Yeah. And uh, they're just, it's fun to pick a fruit. It's just, I think fruit in general, a, a big fruit, especially one that you can grow in your garden in like a couple of months, then that's why I like melons. It's so if somebody was to come here, you would show somebody around. What would you like to show them that surprises them? Now, what I did not know, and, and look, Call me a Philistine, but I did not know this. I didn't know that nasturtiums, the flower nasturtiums are edible. I had no clue. But you know, earlier today, I'm picking these things and eating them. They're a little peppery, a little spicy. They're, they're quite fantastic. I can't wait to go home and grow some and drop them into a salad when we have somebody over to eat and, and surprise people. That surprised me and it's really very cool. So what is it, what's something that you go, well, this would surprise somebody? Well, it's not something we actually sell or even really work with commercially, but I think I love taking people down and seeing the oranges and letting people see, you know, citrus here in Missouri. It's a hobby uh -huh. for me. It's a hobby for me, but it's something that I love to take people to see and let people get inspired to like, hey, I could maybe try some citrus. And we're growing them in a, in a high tunnel greenhouse, uh -huh. but it's still uh, very, very economical. We got 6,000 fruit this year on you know, just two small, small areas, you know, you know, relatively small areas. It's amazing how amount of food you can get out of a greenhouse. And I think one of the biggest things is showing people just how to use the greenhouses and, uh, you know, get, get fruit out of them and food out of them. But also, you know, I, I think the biggest thing is just not one particular thing. It's just letting them see the diversity. I think that's the biggest thing is bringing kids out here or adults and letting them run through and do tours and taste different things. Yeah. I think it's just the diversity of it all and the surprise of, wow, I didn't know there was this many kinds of tulips or this many kinds of melons. And yeah, 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 that yeah. excitement to get to try different things. Yeah, yeah. If, if all you know is your local supermarket, you think that everything is just like this. And then you look in a catalog from Baker Creek and you go, what in the world? There's a whole world of stuff out there. Yeah, it's, it's a, and, and then when I travel, you know, anywhere you go, it's like, you go to a market or something, and it's like, you always are caught off guard. You're like, what yeah. is this? There's yeah. always a new fruit or something. And I think that's the whole thing of what we do and what I enjoy is, you know, getting to try different things. Personally, that's what, what's fun about gardening is, you know, pick a right fruit and try yeah. a new one and see, yeah, wow, yeah, this yeah. is amazing. Okay, in a moment, I'm gonna ask you what someone who wants to grow uh, can do to grow or to grow more or to, uh, We'll talk about the growing experience and we'll look at some spiritual lessons from seeds. He's Jared Gettle. I'm John Bradshaw. This is Conversations brought to you by It Is Written.
You know that at It Is Written, we are serious about studying the Word of God, and we encourage you to be serious as well. Well, here's what you do if you want to dig deeper into God's Word. Go to itiswritten.study for the It Is Written Bible Study Guides online. 25 in-depth Bible studies that will take you through the major teachings of the Bible. You'll be blessed, and it's something you'll want to tell others about as well. itiswritten.study. Go further. itiswritten.study. The Bible is filled with stories of flawed human beings God called to serve Him in incredible ways. He took a violent, impulsive, racist fisherman and transformed him into one of Jesus' closest disciples and one of the most influential leaders of the early church. Join me for another episode of our series, Great Characters of the Bible, as we look at the life of Peter. Peter was far from perfect. He was overly confident. He made promises he didn't keep. But his experience is an encouragement to anyone who knows the feeling of messing up as a follower of Jesus, of falling short, and wondering if you'll ever get it right. God stuck with Peter and helped him grow. And if you let him, he'll do the same for you. Great Characters of the Bible Peter, brought to you by It Is Written TV. Welcome back to Conversations brought to you by It Is Written. I'm John Bradshaw with Jared Gettle. We're at Baker Creek Heirloom Seeds. So somebody wants to plant something. It uh, doesn't matter to me whether they have a farm or a balcony at an apartment. Where, what can somebody do to, to, to get started or what can somebody do to, to grow their little home operation and uh, become more expensive? What would you recommend? I guess the first thing is trying different things. You know, a lot of people think, oh, I just want to grow tomatoes. They just try tomatoes. But the biggest thing is to try different things and also talk to your neighbors, talk to your family, talk to your friends that are gardening. That's the biggest help is talk to those right around you. Go talk to the older ladies at the garden club. They have, you know, a lot of times they have like 80 years of knowledge. So it's, you know, a great place to start. And, you know, the, the biggest thing is just trying a lot of different things. Try, don't try just to do a little bit. Try a lot of different things. It's mostly trial and error, you know, it's kind of like when a kid starts gardening, they keep poking stuff in the ground and trying stuff. Try, if, you, if, you're, um, if you're short on space, try something in a bucket or a box or, a, you know, you can use almost anything to grow stuff in a, a storage tub or a barrel or whatever, wherever you're at if you don't have soil. And... Um, if you don't have a place to plant, but you can also look for a neighbor or a friend or a community garden. There's plenty of places where you can get a little piece of ground to grow on. Should yeah. somebody think about a, a greenhouse? A greenhouse is great, especially once you've kind of got started a little bit and you're thinking, what can I do to make my food more year round? The amount of money you invest in a, if you do it right and research like a high tunnel greenhouse or something like that and shop around a bit, you can probably pay for it if you really pack it full in two or three, you know, two years probably, or, or less. I mean, our greenhouses, we, we generally probably pay for them in one year. Um, if you pack them full and keep them going all year, you can really, in a, in a small greenhouse, you can really produce all the salad greens and leafy vegetables all winter. And it also helps with the fruiting crops all summer because most of the insects aren't on them, so. What spiritual lessons do you see working with seeds and, and plants. You go into the Bible, Jesus used agriculture like so many times um, in his teaching. 
He used horticulture a whole lot, spoke about seeds frequently. We've just filmed two of our weekly It Is Written programs here, dealing with seeds and looking at seeds and, and talking about seeds and so forth, because Jesus talked about them so much. So what are some of the biblical lessons? What are some of the biblical lessons that have, have struck you over the years as you've worked with seeds? Yeah, and that's a good question. I mean, I think first off, you know, it's where God originally put us. I mean, he put us in a garden. Um, when you're in the garden, um, it just causes you to think more about your life. It takes you away from the rat race, and it makes you think about the, the, the miracle, I think, overall for me, is just the miracle of how God made that little tiny piece of dust, and you sit there and watch it transform into something, and you're like, you know, it's, it's unbelievable. It's like, you know, it's like uh, nothing growing into, it seems like nothing. It's actually, a, you know, amazing little package growing into this big, you know, and I guess that's the same way God works with, you know, people and, uh, you know, life in general is, you know, little tiny things, you know, matter, little tiny, you know, thoughts or uh, deeds or whatever we do. It's like these little tiny things are oftentimes yeah. the most important. It's like, it's not necessarily the big grand, the big grand things that happen in life, the things that everybody notices and the celebrities and the big things that everybody, it's oftentimes the little, the little, old lady down the street that might be, you know, taking, helping out the neighbors down the street or whatever, the little things that go unnoticed. It's like the seeds that, you know, turn into, you know, major, you know, major benefit for, you know, mankind and, uh, yeah. you know, everything on the planet. It's the little, the little things, I think. is. Uh, it strikes me as interesting that the, the, the Bible talks about a seed or the kingdom of heaven as being like a seed that, that, that starts small and grows. It's a, uh, it's a, a parable, if you like, not a parable as so much, but a parable of the, the spiritual life, isn't it? The Word of God gets inside you and then grows and grows and continues to grow. Something that, that I think I've been a little bothered about over the years is that many people have lost sight in their discussions about Bible and theology and Christian growth. They've lost sight of the need for growth. And when you work with a seed, put it in the ground, it starts small. It's a perfect little plant, but it's not good for much. You know, it's got to keep on growing and keep on growing and keep on growing. And speaks to me about the Christian experience. You come to faith in Jesus, you might be a little baby Christian, but that's kind of where you're meant to be at that stage and you keep on growing and keep on growing. You got to have thoughts like that roll around inside you. Definitely, it's like, yeah, definitely you think about, uh, and you, you can't expect something to be mature overnight, you got to be patient. I mean, that's definitely one of the things with, you know, gardening. It, it teaches you, it sh it's an object lesson of patience, but it also teaches you, you know, the way God works isn't just it generally overnight, you know, right. it's a, a process. Yeah. And also, you know, it says, you know, Solomon and all, all his glory wasn't adorned like one of these. And when you walk through a tulip garden and you really look at it close, a lot of times people look at it far away, but when you actually get down there and look at all the detail and you magnify it, it's like, unbelievable you know the detail that's in that bloom yeah. uh, a lot of people just kind of like oh yeah it's a tulip or it's a sunflower or whatever but there's multiple layers in there and it's like you know amazing amazing how you know i guess god shows his love through the you know what's around us it's kind of the you know the it's kind of like the sunshine and the you know all the blessings we have it's like they could be all drab you know it could just be a drab gray uh life but you know everything is so amazing and yeah you know i'd be happy if god had just made red tulips yeah. i'd be fine only flower in the world red tulips but 
there's a bazillion different kinds of tulips and there's so many other flowers besides speaking to us about the amazing creativity and just the goodness of God to bless us in so many ways. And I guess it also kind of the differences in people as well. You yeah. have so many different personalities and uh, different different traits and characters that, you know, are all, you know, all important. You know, yeah. it's all part of, a, you know, his plan to... So let me ask you an elemental question. What's a seed and how, how is a seed constructed? That's a good question. I'm definitely no botanist or anything, but it's, to me, it's just an amazing little package of life. You know, it's uh, something that without that, basically nothing on this planet would exist. I mean, people oftentimes don't realize, you know, without the seed, there's basically nothing left. I mean, we, you know, everything is, everything is based around a seed basically that's yeah. living on this planet. So it's, uh, you know, it's, there's so much genetic information in that tiny little package. And um, to me, it's just like, like my earliest memories was putting the, you know, that little radish or tomato seed, like literally I was two years old and that's my first memories putting that in the ground. It wasn't, it wasn't my trip to Kmart. It was my putting those little seeds in the ground. Those are my first memories. And, you know, coming back and watching how quick their radish grows, you know, it's like bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, to me, that was like, you know, totally a miracle to me with a child, you know, when you're not much taller than the radish, you know. So. Yeah, seeds are just little miracles, aren't they? It's fantastic. Have you found over the years in, in learning about seeds, not, not that you, you claim to be any kind of scientist, but you, you read what others have said and you, you're familiar with what's going on in the world and in the industry. Have, have, you, have you noticed new information or new developments with seeds? Are there things we know today that we didn't know then? Or are we treating water when it comes to the way we handle seeds and develop seeds? I think uh, overall uh, we know a lot more, but it's still, it's, what we actually know uh, is probably very little of what actually is there. It's like, yeah. it's, such, it's still the miracle of life. It's like, where does that life actually come from? You know, as Christians, I think we believe, you know, that's something God just put in it and causes it to happen. But it's, it's still that miracle, how that actually happens, I think is, you know, I mean, we might know technically, but still, how does that actually work it's yeah. still a, well, a think hard about to... what jesus said in mark chapter 4 the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed seed and it springs up he does not know how isn't that an interesting thing we're handling seeds you mentioned all the the dna in that little package and then I, there's there's a food supply in the seed you add water and temperature how does it grow yeah, it's, it's something that I, I can't explain. I know scientists can come up with reasons, but uh, it's still, I think even to a scientist, it's still, there's a lot of mystery there. It's, it's like, God, isn't it? It's definitely, I mean, it's definitely stuff he, it's definitely stuff he put in that little package because it's, it's something that man has a hard time. There's a lot of things here on life that man has a hard time, you yeah. know, actually, I can sit and observe it, but it's kind of like, how does my child walk, you know, walk around? It's like, yeah. It's, uh, it, I can see him walking around, but it's like, how does that actually work? It's like amazing. You know, it's like the same thing with, you know, watching a plant grow. How is it growing? How does it, you know, there's scientific reasons, but it's really, uh, you know, still a miracle. Yeah, it is. Jesus alluded to that. I, I find it just really interesting that he said that while men slept, the seed grew, they knew not how, he knew not how. And we're, I think this is one of the great things about gardening is that you're handling little miracles on a day-to-day -day basis. This is something, you, you, you couldn't go and create a seed, go to your lab and concoct one. If you could, there's no way in the world you could make it grow. We're working with principles 
uh, and processes that God initiated and only God can further. For me, it's just this great miracle. And whether you're a believer in Jesus or a stone cold atheist, you're still cooperating with processes that God created, that God invented, that God set in motion. It's a fascinating thing, isn't it? To, to be cooperating with the divine every time you plant a seed, add a little water. For me, it's just, it's quite mind blowing. That it's we get amazing. To do that. I think a lot of people, when they start thinking about it, it's like a lot of people have to, you know, have to think, you know, there has to be more to this than just, you know, than what we see. I mean, it's, there's definitely, you know, it's such a miracle. It's not just a chance, you know, it's definitely, you know, yeah. these, these things can't all just be chances. The, 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 whole, the whole thing with life, I mean, it's too many, you know, everything from the human eye to, That's right. you know, the shapes and colors and, uh, and just how it all happens, you know, it's just yeah. uh, too this, much. This amazing intricacy, and not that I necessarily intended to go there, but someone's gonna tell me that the entire universe was once compressed down into something smaller than a pinhead, <laughs> and it just exploded. And today we have these tulips as a result, and, and the, the hills over there, and, you and the, me the and rings around else. Saturn, yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. the Southern Alps. It, 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 no. Hey, yeah, that's, that's, that to me it takes even more faith. I mean, a whole lot that's more. A, it's a, yeah, I can't, can't yeah. wrap around my mind around you yeah. know, that concept. I think you rob people of a, of a really rich experience when you, when you take away that miracle of creation because now there isn't this great, loving, kind God who initiated these processes. It's just In all cultures, you know, a few centuries ago, literally all cultures believed this was created, whether yeah. it was the Native Americans here or pretty much everybody everywhere a few generations ago, you know, believed yeah. that this was, and when you, we, they, they honored it in a different way than it was just a, you know, when you think it's just a chance, sometimes it's just like, it becomes industrial to you. Lights just came on, so I guess we can see a little bit of here. Um, and the, 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 where we are in the midst of this tulip garden, I mean, it's phenomenal, isn't it? So oh, yeah, where, where, do the, where do the tulips come from? Most of these varieties originated in the Netherlands. Uh, in Holland is the region of the Netherlands they primarily come from. But there are some varieties like the one over there, the yellow one over there is from Japan. But by and large, most tulips today yeah. still come from the Netherlands, uh, you know, in general. And uh, it's a, you know, a, originally they came from, you know, Central Asia and the Dutch got a hold of them and they're very good about flower breeding. And within a few hundred years, you know, you see what you see today. Mm. Literally thousands mm. of different varieties of tulips that have been, you know, selected. And there was already wild tulips in multiple colors, but the Dutch got them and selected, okay, I want this one bigger. I'll cross this red one with this yellow one and get an orange one. And, uh, and when that started, you know, it was just so much genetic potential in each. There's so much genetic potential in each one, you know. And, uh, you know, so it changes so rapidly, you know, and, uh, you know, with, with people just selecting for a few, yeah. you know, a few generations of selecting, all of a sudden this little flower gets a big flower. You've been at this for a few years now. Do, do you still possess any of that wide-eyed wonder that you did when you were a kid or when you're just starting out at this whole crazy thing of a seed becoming does that still fill you with wonder? Oh, it always does, especially in the evening, like the evening right now, and you walk out and it's real quiet and you hear the birds singing and you just look at it all and it's just, you know, amazing. It can, some things can become old, monotonous, but, uh, you know, I, I honestly don't like the business part of the business as much as the, you know, all of this. It's, uh, yeah. I love working with people, though. I, I love meeting people. I love hearing their stories, but my, probably my favorite thing is still is watching it, you know, looking at it 
watching, especially when it's like this, it's incredible. Yeah. It's just, uh, it's hard not to be amazed. It's like every year you see something new too. It's like, wow, look at that one right there, or that one right there. It's yeah. always like, uh, always like, it's, uh, I, I guess a collector of anything though is kind of that way when you, but then with this, you know, the possibility is unlimited. So it's kind of always, uh, always something new to amaze you. Yeah, yeah, great fun. Hey, thanks for your time. This has really been a blast. I've, I've loved being here. It's been great catching up with you and, and learning more of your story. Well, it's been an honor to have you here and showing you around and I love to appreciate you coming back anytime you can. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Looking into the future, I mean, what's happening broadly with seeds and, and horticulture? What's the trend, the general trend in society? I think society has gotten so into their iPhones or their television screens or whatever electronic devices away from it so far that new, younger generations are starting to realize and older generations that, hey, we want some kind of connection to something real again. We've kind of, we're, we can look at it on a screen all day. Those are beautiful tulips. And oh man, I wish I had tulips like my mother-in-law or whoever, and you keep going like this. And, but it's not, not, you're only looking at pictures. You never really get to experience it. You don't get to smell it. You don't get to feel it. You don't get to see it. You don't get to see the bees fly in. It's, uh, I think that's the biggest trend is people actually just wanting to reconnect with their gardens again, you know, reconnect and get outside and, you know, enjoy it. I think it's kind of, when I was a kid, it was kind of going the other way. You know, it was farming and gardening was kind of considered, you know, hot and dirty and dusty. And now I think kids have realized that, you know, or parents have realized most kids want to get dirty and dusty and muddy and all that again. And doctors now agree that it was for a while there, they were thinking, you know, hey, your kid's getting muddy. They might get, you know, that's not really clean. But now doctors and, you know, scientists overall are agreeing that you're healthier if you actually are playing in the soil and, you know, playing in the garden. It's yeah, actually, yeah. yeah. So I think, I think the trend is going to be more and more people, you know, at least using some of their hobby time, their, you know, their free time to be able to, you know, get out and do things outdoors, whether it's gardening or, you know, climbing in the mountains and picking, you know, wild berries or I, people are definitely interested in gathering some of their own food or growing some of their own food. Yeah, cool. Well, thank you for what you're doing to make those connections possible and for giving people the chance to have a wonderful experience bless their health, bless their mind, their family, and would speak to them about a connection with God. Thanks for what you're doing. Thank you, appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. And thank you for joining us. This has been great fun. He's Jer Gettle. This is Baker Creek Heirloom Seeds. I'm John Bradshaw. And this has been our conversation brought to you by It Is Written.